Amen. Thank you, choir, Scott and Faye. By God's word, we walk. That's our prayer. This Bible that you see in, in front of us here was given to Woodmont Baptist Church by its first pastor, Dr. G. Allen West. And this church has been built on the word of God for since the beginning. And we continue to pray that God would order our steps in his word and by his word. We're going to continue to walk through God's word as we walk through the gospel of John throughout 2019. And I really enjoyed this series getting to preach. I've never done it before, preach verse by verse through an entire book. And we are in the end of chapter 10 today, uh, chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. And we finished last month looking at some of these I am statements that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. He makes seven I am statements about his identity as the Messiah, the, the Christ, the anointed one of God who's come to rescue us all. And last week we saw that he made another I am statement when he said, I am the good shepherd. He told the Jewish authorities that he was the good shepherd. And I didn't have time to really get into all the nuances about what that means, so I want to take a minute just to go back for a little bit and explain some of how powerful this is, this image that Jesus uses when he says, I am the good shepherd. He's saying so much more than what we got into last week. The, the Hebrew Bible, what we now call the Old Testament, is full of shepherd imagery going all the way back to Abraham and, and Moses. And when Moses looks out at the promised land, he's on the, the plains of Moab looking across the river Jordan, and he knows He's not going to enter the promised land. God's told him that because of his, his rebellion against God. So he prays, and he, he asks God to send a, a successor. He asks God to send one after him. And here's what he prays. Look at Numbers 27. It'll be on the screen. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them. What does that sound like? Who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Remember last week, I, I showed this picture, Miles, of the uh, sheepfold, right? It was a corral, a stone corral with a big opening right there in, in the side of it, and there was no door because the shepherd himself was the door. The shepherd would sleep in that, that little entryway so that no one could enter or exit without going through the shepherd first. No wolf could come in and attack the sheep unless it got through the shepherd first. And so who did God appoint as Moses' successor? Who came after Moses, you Bible scholars? Joshua. Joshua, look at verse 18. The very next verse says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, that's with a capital S, and lay your hand on him. You know, Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. That's the same name that the angel Gabriel told a little girl named Mary to name her son, Yeshua, which in Greek is Jesus, Jesus. It's the same name. It means salvation in Hebrew. I want you to see how rich this is. Let me just give you one more example from the Old Testament. Out of There's dozens I could show you, but I just want to give you one more. The prophet Ezekiel, writing almost 
500 years after the Davidic kingdom in Israel. This is way after King David. He, he prophesied about a day when the Lord would send a new servant king from the line of David to rescue God's people and to shepherd them. Look at Ezekiel 34. It'll be on the screen here. Verse 22. I will rescue my flock, says God. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, which sheep are God's and which ones aren't. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Remember, David's been dead for 500 years. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. We know that Jesus came from the line of David. He was the good shepherd. That's the context in which we dive into our text for today, that Jesus is the good shepherd. Remember this debate with the authorities, the, the powers that be in Jerusalem has now come full circle, basically. It's clear that the authorities have grown numb to any actual evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. They're not going to believe that he's the Messiah no matter what. They're really, at this point, only looking for an opportunity to kill him. They're looking for some kind of charge which they can crucify him for. It's now winter, and we pick up with another encounter in the temple courtyard with the Jewish authorities. So let's stand, if you're able to, in honor of God's word this morning. Again, no pressure. As we read John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42, hear now the word of the Lord. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? <laughs> Jesus is kind of sarcastic. I like that. The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, 
And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, of all the the fruits of the Spirit, the the one that I struggle with the most probably has got to be patience. I'm not a very patient person. Nashville traffic uh, will prove that pretty quickly. And as a parent, it's, it's very important to be patient, isn't it, when dealing with young children. Brittany and Ryan, y'all are about to find out how important patience is with a young child. Joel and Lindsay Lyons, who are at home with little Juno now, are adjusting to life uh, with a, a baby. And our three-year-old son, who's thankfully downstairs with the, our, our wonderful saintly preschool workers right now, but he's in the middle of the why stage. You know what I'm talking about, you parents. And everything he ask is, why, why this, why that, why, why, why? And it it probably doesn't bother me as much as it does Morgan because I was that kid. I still am kind of the why kid in some ways. I want to know why on everything too, but uh, it can still be exasperating when he comes to you with a little piece of candy in his hand. He says, dad, can I have this? And I say, no. And he says, why? I say, because we don't eat candy for breakfast. It's seven o'clock, buddy. We're not having candy. And he says, well, why not? Uh, Because it's full of sugar. That's why. Well, why is it full of sugar? Uh, Because the candy factory put sugar in it. Well, that's weird. Why? Why did they do that? Because it makes it taste good. And it just goes on and on and on with him. And he's never really satisfied, it seems like, with those questions. Jesus is way more patient with these authorities. He's Jesus, after all. He is the Son of God. Than I would have been. I would have lost my cool a long time ago with these guys. But Jesus, even though it seems like he's pointing out the obvious, maybe a little sarcastic there, he's still gentle and loving and compassionate in all of his responses. You see here that in verse 24, the text says that, it says that the Jews are are pestering Jesus again. Let's be clear on what John means when he says the Jews, because the Jews are clearly not referring to all Jews. Jesus was a Jew, right? John, who's writing this, is a Jew. John the Baptist was a Jew. You know, all these guys are, he's not talking about all Jews clearly. He's talking about this group of Jewish authorities that have it out for Jesus. They're in clear opposition to God and to his son. That's who he's referring to. He uses that phrase 68 times in the book of John in the Greek text. I think it's 61 in English, uh, the Jews. So when you see that, just know it's not referring to all Jewish people. I want to be clear on that. So they come to Jesus and they challenge him to tell the truth. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or aren't you? And Jesus gently, patiently reminds them, "I've, I've been telling the truth the whole time. I've been telling and showing you the truth of who I am. Because I want you guys to know the truth. I want you to come to the truth and live eternally and flourish and thrive. That's what I've come for. And you guys aren't going to get it, though. You guys can't fathom it. You can't understand what I'm saying because you're not of my flock. You're not part of my sheep. Is what he's saying. 
I would have said something like, are you kidding me, you guys? I, I keep telling you over and over again who I am, and you're not hearing me. You're not listening. I've done all these signs that point to my true identity, and, and, and you guys still aren't listening. You guys got all bent out of shape after I healed the lame man on the Sabbath day, and I said, I'm working because my father's working. And I said, I and the father are one, and you guys tried to kill me for that. Remember that? I told you, I am the Messiah. I am God. Remember, I publicly turned water into wine. I healed the official's son long distance. I fed 5,000 people. I just gave sight to a man born blind. And you're still not getting it. But instead, Jesus explains to them that they can't get it. He lovingly explains that they are not part of his flock. Remember last week, we, we talked about shepherding in the ancient Near East was an intimate profession in a lot of ways. These shepherds, they had to know their sheep, each one individually, by name and by sight. They had to be able to recognize. They spent almost all of their time with their sheep, with their flock. Each morning, they'd wake up in the sheepfold and in the door there, and they would call out to to their flock, to their sheep, making sure that they got all of their sheep separated from the other sheep that were in the sheepfold. And they would lead their sheep out into the pastures in order to feed them and help them to flourish while the other sheep remained behind. So Jesus says something here in verse 27 that has profound implications for those that are truly his sheep and for those that are not his sheep. Verse 27 here in chapter 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus already made this, this point in the passage that we looked at last week, but the implication here is that those who are not his sheep do not hear his voice. They do not follow them because he does not know them, and they do not know him. You know, I've talked before about the, the phenomenon of the unconverted evangelical. A lot of pastors and authors have written a lot about this lately, that there's many people who believe that they are right with God because they come to church maybe once or twice a month, because they give a little money maybe even to church a few times a year. Maybe they even go on mission trips or serve in the nursery with my three-year-old answering questions, or maybe they go on mission trips, but none of that stuff makes you right with God. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepting his free gift of salvation within your soul and surrendering all that you are, mind, body, spirit, future, past, present, everything to the Lord. That's what brings salvation. But there's plenty of people who think that they're right with God. And, and Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7 that on that last day, there's going to be many people who think that they're saved, but they are not, in fact, a part of his flock. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I think it'll be on the screen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. What a sad 
statement. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The litmus test for true salvation is one who does the will of the Father. How does that happen? He says it here clearly in verse 27. My sheep follow me. If you follow Christ, you are in the will of the Father. If you follow Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior every day of your life, then you can't help but be doing the will of God. When we leave here today, we need to be certain who it is that we're following, who our leader it is, who we're chasing after. Franchaka says that we chase what we love and we resemble what we chase. We chase what we love and we resemble what we chase. All I need to do is look at someone's social media profile for about two minutes and I can tell you what they love. It's clear from their social media what it is that they value, what they cherish. What are we following after so hard that we end up spending our lives chasing after it? There's only one shepherd who leads us to flourishing, who leads us to green pastures, who makes us lie down beside still waters and gives us rest for our souls. Everything else is a false shepherd that leads only to destruction. Let's be honest. It doesn't lead to flatline. It leads to destruction and ruin. Remember last week, John 10.10, the thief comes only to what? kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus comes that we may have life and have it to the fullest. Look at what the shepherd provides. Verse 28 here. Jesus says, I, the good shepherd, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. By definition, eternal life never ends. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. My Father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again at this point to stone him. We talked some last week about the, the peace that comes from resting securely in the sheepfold knowing that Jesus, our good shepherd, is standing between us and evil. Nothing can come through the sheepfold unless it goes through Jesus first. We can rest secure in the knowledge of our safety. We can be assured of the surety of our salvation, of our deliverance. How can we know these things? Because God is sovereign. You know what sovereign means? It's kind of one of those church words that we kind of throw around. To be sovereign means that God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowledgeable, that he's fully in control of everything. That's what it means to be sovereign. God alone is sovereign over all. Now, I've, I've, I've been accused, believe it or not, uh, of being a closet Calvinist, whatever that means. I'm not sure what that means. And most of you here probably don't know and, and probably don't care uh, about the, the debates that have been raging in some Baptist circles over the last 10, 20 years, maybe, I don't know, over the influence of Reformed theology. In one sense, I would say 
all of us who don't identify as Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox are, in a sense, reformed. We're a product of the Reformation, right? Our theology is definitely influenced by reformers like Luther and Calvin. And on the other hand, what we believe about God, our theology, should not come from any persons, not from Luther or Calvin, but only from Scripture alone, which is part of the Reformation, sola scriptura, right? Thank God for that. And I don't have time to, to do a deep dive into predestination or to give you an overview of Calvin's institutes, and I'm not sure it would be that helpful even if I did this morning do all that, but let me just say two things on this issue that are kind of key for me and where I come down that I found to be helpful and I hope will be helpful to you as well when it comes to issues of God's sovereignty, to things like predestination, to things like Calvinism. Let me just give you two key points. First, we are not God. Any attempt to reduce God's ways and, and proper theology into some kind of rigid, wooden structure or system of theology is to do disservice to God's truth and to God's word. Ultimately, predestination, all that God's sovereign choice, all that kind of stuff, Romans 9, 10, all of that is a profound mystery. It should drive us to our knees in worship that God is a God whose ways are so infinitely high above our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, his thoughts are as high uh, above our thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. Second point is to deny God's sovereignty or that he alone is responsible for our salvation is against the clear teachings of Scripture. We've seen that already in John. So two points there. One is that predestination is a mystery. It's profound. We don't understand how God could both be a God who chooses us and yet at the same time gives us choices. I believe both those things are true. How? I don't understand it. But clearly our choices matter. You know, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are all about how God chooses us and God's sovereign. And he predestines us, it says in Ephesians 1. I didn't say that. The Bible did. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are all about our choices because they matter. It's so important, our choices too. So both of those things are true. We hold that tension as a mystery. And then second, God is sovereign and that his rule and his reign is complete over all creation. And he alone then is responsible for rescuing us and the rest of creation. You can see these truths in John chapter 1. Remember, go back to the prologue of John. Look at verse 11 in chapter 1. He, Jesus, came to his own, the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, our part, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Our new birth wasn't something that we willed. Our new birth wasn't something that we strived for and somehow attained through our ability. It was 100% the work of God. So that none of us could boast and that all glory would go to him and that we would praise only his amazing grace because he has 
forged our salvation before all time. He had a plan to rescue us. Skip to chapter 6, John chapter 6. We were in this chapter during Easter season this past spring. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, he explains to the crowd in verse 35 that he himself is the bread of life, abundant life. Then look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's the Father that, that gives the flock to the shepherd. And those sheep that come to the shepherd for safekeeping will never be cast out from the sheepfold. Then jump to verse 44 in chapter 6. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What this means is that none of us, no human that ever lived, has the moral ability, the spiritual ability to come to the high and holy God except through Jesus Christ, the door of the sheepfold. It's Jesus Christ who gives uh, us the ability to come to the Father. This shouldn't be controversial, right? This is right here in Scripture. I hope that we can see that in the text. And it simply means that we claim no part in our salvation. It simply means that God's amazing grace is 100% responsible for our rescue. Praise God. You know, during our, our VBS two, two weeks ago, Rachel and I, our, our children's minister, got to have some profoundly important conversations with some kids who checked that on their little response card that they wanted to know more about accepting Jesus as Lord. And we were so careful in, in those conversations not to manipulate young emotions. You don't want to say something or, or, or get a kid to agree to something that's not genuine, that they're not feeling on their own. We contacted all of their parents before we met with them and told them what was going on and, and asked permission to meet with their kids and, and pray with them. And and we didn't want to coerce decisions because we're not a decision church. Does that make sense? We're not out to get a bunch of cards and count a bunch of baptisms for the sake of decisions. We're taking the long view. We're, we're looking to make disciples. We want to make disciples for the journey. When I talked to some of these parents, I said, look, we're not just trying to get your kid dunked. We're trying to, to get your kid to be a leader in the youth group someday. Pray for Trey and our middle schoolers right now, too. They're at middle school camp. I told them we'd pray for them. I forgot. But they have several kids who don't know Jesus. They have several kids from our Swahili church. And let me just give you a testimony real quick. One of the staffers who's there this week at Camp Generate is from Kenya and speaks fluent Swahili and is able to converse in the heart language of these kids as they talk about Jesus. It's just amazing how God provides but in these conversations with these kids and with their parents, we wanted them to understand that we're, we're looking not to just get a conversion, but we're looking to get a disciple. We're looking for people who will follow Jesus as shepherd, not only today, but every day for the rest of their lives on earth and beyond that life. It's important that our kids get plugged into 
children's ministry, then youth ministry, and then then they go off to vocational school or college or army or whatever it may be, that they're part of campus ministries, churches. We want to see them pursue lives of godly singleness or Christian marriage as they go into adulthood and raise Christian families or stay as a Christian single for as long as the Lord has in store for their journey. Ultimately, we want to see everyone here live out their identity as a part of the flock of Jesus Christ. We want to see people follow Jesus, the good shepherd, to know his voice intimately and chase hard after him. It's the only way to flourish. Because walking the aisle doesn't get you saved. Getting dunked doesn't get you saved. Surrendering all that we are to Jesus. Receiving his grace and mercy. Overflowing in our souls as living waters is the first step but persevering on that journey, a long obedience in the same direction, said Nietzsche, is the key. We call that journey discipleship. Perseverance in our faith is evidence that we have indeed been saved and made part of the eternal flock of Jesus Christ. I like the way John Piper puts it, the pastor and author, when he addresses this issue of assurance of salvation He says a lot of people think that eternal security is like a vaccination. Like when I was six, I prayed God vaccinated my arm and therefore I can't get the disease of damnation now. That's not how it is. Rather, Piper says, it's more like entering into lifetime therapy with a doctor, a wise doctor who says, you are my patient. You do what I say and I will get you to the end. I will get you there whole in the last day. Maybe another way to say it is uh, eternal security is like trusting our good shepherd day by day to lead us in, to lead us out, to lead us where we need to go all the days of our life, all the way to the end. So what does this matter? Who who cares if, if no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand, well, you know, 4th of July, it's a, it's a fun holiday. Isaac Smarr was, was here uh, working at the church. He said, I love the 4th of July. I was like, why? He said, all the food, the fireworks, it's just so much fun. It is fun, but you know it's not fun for? Dogs. Dogs hate it, right? My, my dog, thank the Lord, is, is very, uh, when she gets scared, she just gets real quiet, and she just wants to, to be near me. She, she doesn't, I've heard of dogs that like scratch things and bite things and throw themselves into walls. She doesn't do that. She just gets real quiet and, and wants to be close to me. Why is that? Because she knows that near the master's side, at the master's feet, she is safe. That she dwells secure. That despite the bangs that are going on in the world outside, she is okay when she's at the master's side. The same is true for us. When we are close to the heart of Jesus, we are dwelling secure. I think a lot of us wrestle with the anxiety and the fear that maybe we're not good enough for God. I've talked to several people in our congregation who said, how can God possibly love me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know the the horrible things that I've done. Jesus knows. 
And he still has the ability to make you right with himself and to say, come close to me. I know lots of Christians here who worry that their children may no longer be a part of the flock of Jesus Christ. The truth that Jesus speaks here over us frees us from that anxiety. Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is sovereign and he is faithful. If we wake up as Christians tomorrow, it will only be because God has maintained his faithfulness to us, not because we did anything. The gospel is not only that Jesus died for our sins, not only did he rise from the grave and conquer death forever, but he's able to keep us safe. He's able to preserve our lives. He's able to be a good shepherd who we can trust to lead us in and out daily all the way to the end. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were strained like sheep. There it is again. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That word for overseer also means shepherd or pastor. He is our pastor who oversees our souls. You know, the great hymn writer Fanny Crosby wrote these words in 1873, almost 150 years ago. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst in my sight. When was the last time you had a vision of rapture? Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest in green pastures by still waters. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Let's pray. Lord God, who are we that you would make us part of your eternal family? God, we've all, like sheep, gone astray, pursued our own ways, chased after things that are not of you. And yet, through Jesus Christ, you offer us perfect submission where all is at rest. Help us to surrender ourselves more fully to you today so that we can experience the blessed assurance of your salvation. God, for those who have not yet received you, I pray that you would stir their hearts to surrender all that they are to you so that they can know the blessed assurance that is theirs in Christ.
God, for the rest of us, for those who have been washed in your blood, help us to live more fully into that identity as part of your flock as we follow our good shepherd in and out of the sheepfold day by day. Help us to experience the rest as he makes us to lie down by still waters and green pastures. Our cup surely does overflow and goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life because of your salvation. Thank you that we don't have to fear falling away from you, that you protect us. If only we will stick with you. God, I pray that like a good doctor, that you would help us to put our trust in you as you promised to get us to the end in one piece, whole and complete and mature and perfect in you. We pray all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to have a response time now. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I invite you to come now and talk with someone, talk with me. Jane, if you'll come. Uh, Trey's not here today. Morgan, will you come up here? I, I appreciate that. That'd be great. If you want to pray with Dewey too, Dewey, if you'll come up here. Dewey's a prayer warrior who I've prayed with many times. If you'll come stand up here as well, Dr. Dunn. If you want to pray with one of these people, they'll be here to receive you in prayer as well. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member, if you want to be a part of our family of faith, we're not a perfect family. Every family's got its issues. The more I counsel people, the more I realize every family has its baggage and we're no different. But this is a family. We have old, young, everybody in between. And we're on a journey together. And we love each other. And we support one another. If you want to be part of this family, we invite you to come and join with my Baptist Church. Whatever it is, if you want to make a public profession of faith in Jesus today, if you just want to come pray at the altar again, uh, bring your body to where your heart is, the altar will be open. Whatever it is you need to do in this time, let's stand and sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.